Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I really appreciate it, and so does Ben, who I will reiterate is a automotive journalist just like me. In fact, um, we're really good friends, and I want Ben to tell you, dear listener, where to find all of his latest work. Can you do that for me, Ben? Sure. You can find my work at Car and Driver, at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, and at Haggerty. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, TechSpot, and some other publications as well. Sammy, does Nouveau mean new in French? Uh, it is not written that way, but it, that is what it means. All right. I'm glad we clarified that. This week, we've got some cars to talk about. Some pretty, um, I think, they are cars that a lot of people have been um, wanting to hear about. I think they have high hype around them. And I'm going to start us off first because I drove the 2023 Honda Civic Type R, which is a new hot hatch from from Honda, obviously. Um, it's the successor to the last Type R, which um, had some pretty rave reviews back when it showed up. But this one um, has a completely different sort of starting point with the new generation Civic hatchback, now, which is, yep. I just want to, I want to ask you, does this share anything with the Acura uh, Type S that just came out? The Integra Type S? The Type S. I don't know. Or Type about R. The, is that, was that a Type R or a Type S? Am I, am I, I think that's a Type S. I don't know if the Type S has, did the Type S happen already for sure? I, I, I mean, we know that we have the details on the car, right? Yes. So is it the same platform? It is. Or is it the, uh, the, same, it platform, with the, it is the same platform? I don't know about the Type S yet. I only know about the A-Spec, which doesn't seem very exciting okay. either. I thought the Type S was maybe shared with the SI and not the Type R. So I'm sorry to interrupt. No, the, the, the A-Spec is shared with the um, SI, which uses a 1.5 liter turbo four for like 200 horsepower. Which is everywhere, that engine. Yes. And I think the big difference between the SI and the Integra is... I really hope I'm right on this, is that I believe the Integra has, um, like, adjustable dampers okay, or, or like, uh, controllable suspension settings, while the SI no longer has that, which is a downgrade from the last generation SI. Um, let me make sure I'm right with Yes, active dampers. Okay. Um, which is a downgrade from the previous um, Civic SI, which had that feature. So, so I now of, you I've, have to... I've derailed yeah. you here. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So... What were we talking about? Type R. That's right. The Civic Type R that everyone wants to talk about. Yes, except Ben um, wants to talk about the Integra for some reason, even though I don't like the Integra. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So when we talk about the Type R, we should talk about how, as a whole, the Civic has been um, improved. It's become a classier product. It's a bit. It's actually um, bigger and more comfier. It has a more refined interior um especially in terms of interior design, especially in terms of materials and layout. And this is all translated into the, into the Type R. Um, and then ex like exterior-wise, the, the vehicle has been smoothed over a little bit, which I think these two aspects were among the biggest criticisms with the last generation Civic and Type R, which is that it looked like it was designed by a child um, and the cabin was like uh, messy. And nowadays we have like a, a, a very clean exterior design, with uh, functional ductwork or vents or whatever you want to call it, and a and a and a relatively clean exterior design. The only thing I think that stands out with the with the new Civic Type R is it has what looks like a, a fairly like uh, boy racerish spoiler. Like it looks like it's just bolted onto the the the, the trunk lid there. Well, they the had to leave something hatch. right. Like there had to be some crazy outre kind of aspect to the car. I think that's a, I think that's a really important element to bring up. There had to be something, and I always think about hot hatches um, because I think growing up there were these forms of like attainable performance, um, and and as a result of that, they were like boosted and like childish in all of these ways. And today's hot hatches hot hatches seem less childish, less tweaky, and more like refined and. Um, and, uh, I don't want to say boring, but like 
high tech. Right? I think that a big part of that though is related to the price tags that we're starting to see associated with these yeah. cars. Like yeah. there was a time when a hot hatch, you bought it because it was affordable. You couldn't afford a sports car, but you could afford a hot hatch because it was kind of a decontented uh, economy car with a big engine. Like it was, it was kind of like a return to the muscle car era of the '60s, where they put big power in a small package, and you didn't really get a lot of luxury unless you absolutely wanted to pay for it. But that's kind of not the case anymore. We're seeing, like you mentioned, these high-tech, um, supercomputer-controlled, fancy all-wheel drive, fancy turbo, fancy torque management. All this stuff yeah. is being stuffed into these platforms. That yeah, they're shared with economy cars, but. The, the share kind of comes with an asterisk. Like, these yeah. are heavily massaged versions of those cars. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, let's be clear here. The actual, like, normal Civic is actually kind of, ex- like, relatively expensive. I think it starts at, like, uh, twenty-four dollars or $25,000, where in the past, I think it was a maybe twenty or sub-$20,000 car. Uh, so I think as a whole, the, the the floor has been raised on the Civic. But as a result, we're looking at a $43,000 Civic Type R. Wow. Which, like I said last time, it, it compares to the to the likes of the Golf R, which again is this vehicle that feels um, no longer like it's playing in the class that it was meant to be in. Right? You know, we've talked last week about the the new Nissan Z, which starts at thirty nine thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. So this Type R is considerably more expensive than a base Z, and I don't. I mean, I'm sure performance, if you were to get a stopwatch out on a racetrack, is probably comparable. But the driving experience is going to be quite different. It's got to be quite different. But I mean, performance-wise, you've got a really big difference, especially if you're talking about a uh, a straight six powered, uh, not straight six, a, a twin turbo V6 in the Z to, to this thing, which has a essentially the same engine as last year, the two liter turbocharged four cylinder. Um, but it's been tuned up to put out about 315 horsepower, uh, 315 or 316. Uh, How I much should... of a boost is that? Oh man, I have to look up the old one now. I think it's like a five or 10. Yeah, boost. I think it's maybe 10 horsepower. I don't. It's not much. Did it change how the power arrives though? Like, is the torque curve different, or is how how does that impact driving? Yeah, it is a little bit um, flatter, but I will not. I will not say that this is like. Uh, a super smooth uh, 306 was the last one. So it's about 10 horsepower difference. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't call it like smoother in terms of power delivery. This is still a turbocharged four cylinder that is like, it's boosted, man. Like it feels, this is the part to me that really feels exciting. This, this like turbo lag that hits. So you're saying it's like, like a peaky power delivery? Yeah, it is a bit more peaky. Um, I, I still have fun with this sometimes. I do think it encourages good uh, or smart shifting, which is another highlight of the uh, of the Type R, which is manual only. Um, has a very nice feeling shifter. The the shift knob is great. The the gear changes are are feel pretty slick. Um, clutch is a little like lifeless and light, which is maybe the biggest um, uh, criticism I have about the tra- the, the drivetrain, but. Um, and the other thing to point out is this thing has like a rev matching uh, function on the on the manual transmission. But you have to be in like you have to if you want to turn this off, you have to like apply the parking brake. I think. Wait, what? So rev matching is always on? Yeah, and then like I said, you can turn off. You can change all sorts of characteristics of the car, but to turn off the rev matching, I had to put the, I had to put the handbrake on. That's a little weird. It's so strange when you can like. You can do everything. You can turn on and off everything. You can change the from R mode to comfort mode to to um, you can change all of the uh, drive mode the the driver assist um, functions. But if I want to turn off the the rev matching, I have to I have to stop and start from the. Is there a reason for that? I don't know. No, not that I know. To annoy you, of course, man. I guess. Well, I mean, mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah, you're not in a good mood now. Um, what else can I say about this? Um, just like the last one, this one has a very tricky and 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 clever front differential, a, a setup that that encourages to that that manages to mitigate a lot of torque steer that you would get by throwing 300 horsepower to the front wheels. Um, I didn't I didn't notice a ton of torque steer, torque steer. The vehicle can spin the front wheels fairly easily, but um, when you're driving it at speed, the car just it slices through corners. I was really impressed by this. It doesn't feel um, like it, it pushes or, or is um, it, it has a tendency to push. I was very impressed with just how quickly um, and confidently it sticks 
um, through corners and through um, and through corners. Sorry, and and never and and keeps encouraging you to do things more faster. Um, and, and I love that. To me, that was really playful. And despite the the price point and the um, slightly more mature interior, this element of it still feels playful and uh, and enjoyable. So enthusiastic. It's, it's, it's weird for you to hear you say that the car comes across as playful because. The previous Type R was not a vehicle I enjoyed in the sense that I didn't really feel I could make a connection with it. I felt that it felt almost like there was a layer of software that was kind of removing me from the driving experience. It felt clinical. I mean, it was obviously quite quick, and Mm. I couldn't really fault the handling or anything like that. But in terms of me being able to bond with the vehicle, that never really happened. And I've driven it a few times, and I just couldn't get past that layering. So. You, you I have I have a different I think I have another a different baseline than you do, than you do when it comes to that engagement level. I will tell you, throttle response is decent, transmission feel is really good, braking is excellent, and grip is great. But steering is maybe still a little bit too uh, lifeless. It gets this weird weight to it that really can um, can be distracting of all things. Can you can you imagine that when you start realizing, wow, the the, the steering feels silly how how heavy it is. I've and noticed I think that, that can remove you from the from that engagement factor that you're talking about. It can be what where I notice that the most is when I'm in a vehicle that has multiple driving modes and one of those modes just artificially uh, adds weight to the steering in a, at a mm-hmm. level that like it just jumps out at you, right? Like you're just driving, you push a button and all of a sudden the steering feels radically different. And yeah. I notice that often when let's say I'm on the highway and I'm driving to an interesting road and I'm just in whatever normal drive mode. And then I get to the road that I want to push the car on and I go to sport mode and sport mode is just, it feels he- almost like it's a just heavy steering. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause heavy doesn't necessarily mean sporty. Like, so my Datsun heavy doesn't, doesn't mean direct, right? Like it. No, it my, my, my Datsun doesn't have power steering and yeah. I have very sticky tires on it for the track. And it's a real handful at low speeds to turn the wheel. It sucks. It's not great. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, heavy steering isn't associated with something that I would consider sporty. Like on the racetrack at speed, the steering is no longer heavy. It doesn't right. stay heavy when you're driving fast. It's it's, but the heaviness comes through because there's no power assist. So I don't know. Maybe my, maybe I'm a little skewed there in terms of my expectations. Yeah. I think your expectations are different. I think a lot of people have different expectations, but I do feel that the steering is the lowest, is the low light of the, uh, of the new type R. Okay. Uh, and that just might, again, that might be just my approach to, to that steering feel. There might be people who really don't mind it. I do feel like it's way too heavy. Um, driving it at speed, you still feel the the, the heft there, which is not fun. Um, and, but I do think that the the car corners extremely well for what is a Civic platform. You know what I mean? Like that's that's amazing to me. What's the braking like? It's pretty good. I think it could use better brakes, but the car has excellent tires. I think you can get it with these um, cup. Sport two, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it comes with. Yeah, um, and Pilot Sport um, fours, sorry, Pilot Sport Cup twos, and uh, Michelin um, Pilot Sport fours. And it weighs it weighs just under thirty two hundred pounds, which I think is like roughly what a nine eleven weighs. I think the weight is really decent. I don't think it's um, I don't think you can use the weight as a detriment here, but um, I think that. it is a very, it's a very good, it's a very good product. Um, I think it is, it it fills the gaps where the last one fell short. Um, it it, be, but as a result, like I said, it's become a little bit more mature. Um, but that hasn't dampened the the driving experience for me. I, now, I really enjoyed it. The real question is, yeah, would you pay forty three thousand dollars for it? Zero. No, absolutely not. I think you can have fun in a car without spending that much money. I think this is getting absurd. Um, so where would you go? Where, where would you take your cash? I Am mean, I crazy? Like I don't know. I, I don't know where I would. First of all, I think the Elantra N is ten grand cheaper, and the Elantra N is a blast to drive. I, and, I, I haven't driven yeah. the type, the new Type R, but if I had to pick between the previous Type R and the current Elantra N, I would take the Elantra N just because. I had that level of engagement that was missing from the Honda. It, it's it's a raucous car. It's exciting. It, it's just fun. The experience is fun. And I'm not – I don't drive a spec sheet anymore. I've stopped doing that. It doesn't interest yeah. me. I want the experience and I feel like the, the Elantra N really provides that. Um, but this, I guess – That's a really good point actually. You should – we should double down on that on that discussion because spec-wise – 
The Type R should be very, very good. It is 300, over 300 horsepower. Well, according to you, it's, it is very good. But I'm, t- I'm just saying it's not worth that cost, mm. right? And I miss some of the other... How much did the Focus RS cost when it ha- when it came out? It was, was pretty it also, expensive. I, was it also this expensive? Don't forget, that was several years ago, right? So pr- pricing and inflation and whatnot, it, it's changed the value of a dollar. But, but didn't I it also re- have more power. It had more drive wheels. It was like, it was intense. It was hilarious. It was like a rally car for It was 37000 right? in 2018. Okay. So I would say that's very close to what the Type R is now. Uh, but you're right. It was all-wheel drive. Uh, if you're looking around at current vehicles. Yeah. I we have some others. We have some other weird ones that I don't like the pricing on. Golf R we talked about. Yeah. There's a new Corolla GR, I believe it's called, which I'm anxious to say is worth for that price tag that it's got, which I think in some cases can can get close to 50 grand in some cases. I'm looking at uh, – so there's there's there were a bunch of packages though for the um... – Corolla? No, I'm looking at the RS. It, oh, we're still, you're looking at a five-year-old car. Well, the final year for that car, they only sold a thousand of them in the U.S. And I think they all came. I think they might have been more expensive. I think they there were there were a couple of options packages that maybe pushed them up over forty thousand dollars. But anyway, it's not important. Um, but but I think we're at. <laughs> I, I think, love it. it wasn't important, but you had to stop and drill down into it for like a couple. So, but I think where I was going with the RS is if you look at the RS and you look at the GR Corolla, those are cars that come from like a rally background, yeah, like a rally hatch. And the Civic doesn't. It's a different kind of personality. The Elantra also doesn't come from a rally background. So I think it's maybe more of a better analog for what the Type R has. Uh, even without the price difference, I'm still taking the Elantra. I mean, I find the Elantra is very stylish looking too. In the sense okay, that yeah. it takes risks. I'm not into that. I'm not into the Elantra design. I I really don't no, like I that. I like it. I'm into that it. That side profile, those Give lines. Me those weird creases and like. You love those creases. Like a half That's assembled wild. Rubik's Cube. That's what I want in a car. I want a car that maybe is going to give me a paper cut when I open the door. And I mean, of course, the, the biggest advantage to a hot hatch like the um, Civic over the Elantra is that it's a hatch. It's a practice. It's practical. And then over other enthusiast cars, like you mentioned, the Z. Yeah. I mean, or it has 86. a back seat, right? Like the yeah. Z doesn't have that. The 86 might as well not have that. Yeah, but the 86 exactly. is way cheaper. I'm a fan. Of, I'm a fan of rear wheel drive. Like that's, that's my jam. I, sure. I'm going to go I mean, with dynamically, that. Just no question. But in a world where I have to drive a front wheel drive car, it would yes. probably be the Elantra N. But only because the budget is so much better, is better spent on the, on the Elantra, I think. I, I think we're getting to a point where that those performance numbers and that much technology does not make the nearly ten thousand dollar difference. I've got to double check if the price is ten grand. The the base price on an Elantra N is thirty two thousand dollars, while the Civic um, starts at yeah forty three thousand. Yeah, and that's before the sixty thousand dollar dealer markup that you're going to pay for the Type R, <laughs> which you would probably not have to pay for the Elantra. You think so? I think the Elantra is under the radar enough that um, it's just not – I'm sure there's some demand, but I don't think it's like a crazy level of demand. It's not like the what Focus about the RS where there was – What about the cost to get your Elantra unimpounded from the police from being too loud? Remember that? Oh, yeah. That's true. I mean <laughs> how loud was the Type R? It was fairly loud. It doesn't sound super great. Um, <laughs> it doesn't sound super You're really good. really selling me on that right there. No, I'm, I'm worried because the – we had to do, I had to do a video for it for driving.ca and, you know, when you're doing these things, you have to do – sort of, um, you know, revving shots. And in neutral, the car sounds like a vacuum. Does it have a 4,000 RPM cutoff in neutral? It does. I hate that. I think it might be under 4,000 RPM. Let me rev it. And it sounds like a, it really sounds like a vacuum. It does not sound good. I paid for the full power band, okay? (laughs) I didn't pay for 4,000 RPM of a 7,000 RPM red line. That's just at neutral. I think that's okay. If I want to ruin the engine and void the warranty, that's my call. Yeah. To impress someone on the sidewalk, that's my call. Right. Um, but, um, wow, you really got, you really caught me on this. You're like, I, I started off so high and now I'm getting lower and lower on it. High on what? But, on the Civic? Yeah. <laughs> just because of the fuel cutoff? You're like, oh man. <laughs> exactly. That the fun factor is just seeping out of it now. Exactly. Um, but I mean, again, the, the element here is that as a hot hatch, you're, you're looking for something that can do a little bit of everything. I think the Elantra, I mean, sorry, I think the Civic does everything and does everything really well. It does the performance parts 
Um, really good. I think it's very ca- going to be very capable on track. I I haven't gotten it on track, but from um, reports from colleagues around the industry, it seems incredible on track. What about day to day commuting? Like how? And I think day to day, it's so it's so good. It, I think it is very um, comfortable. It can be a tiny bit stiff, but there is a comfort mode um, that softens things up a bit. And I think that the choice of tires will make a bigger difference. Um, on the on the day to day drive than than anything else. And was it cold when you were driving? Because we're, we're late. Fall, no, no. So. It was uh, it was extremely warm while I, when I was driving. Okay. Um, and I really like seriously on these roads. It it just it was so much fun. Um, maybe I'm just uh, maybe I've lost touch of what's fun again. But I really do I don't think... think you should question your. Yeah, now I'm <laughs> getting worried. Like, we're like what episode three hundred of the podcast, and Sammy's <laughs> Sammy's starting to get into the dark questions of the soul. Like, do I still understand what fun is? <laughs> but like I said, there's there are moments when I'm enjoying it. Uh, and I do think it's it's capable, especially like you said on paper. The spec sheet says it's very good. Driving it at speed, very good. Driving it around town, very good. All right. Um, tr- triggering through, playing with all the functions, it, it, it's great. But when I look at that price point, am I willing to spend all of that for what you're getting here? Is it is it everything it's supposed to be and more? Right. What I really wonder about where we are with these hot hatches and, and sporty compact cars is. Is there like a ceiling where you you can't go higher than that, or are we in a world where inflation and and um, demand is such that they can just keep pushing that price higher and higher? Because remember, remember when like the Z06 Corvette was everyone was like, oh wow, this is a Corvette that's maybe only ten thousand dollars more than the the base Corvette, but you get this aluminum chassis and you get this much better engine and all this stuff. Like the C6 was really kind of a game changer. But now right. if you look at the Z06 Corvette, it's like a hundred thousand dollar vehicle, isn't it? Yes. I think I don't know off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure it's close to that. Like whereas the um, the base C8 I think is still like 58 or 59 something something around there. There's a big gap is what I'm going for. That's what yeah. I'm, what I'm getting at with this. So I, I think with a sports car like the Z06, yeah, you can keep pushing because it's a world beater. But if, if with the Civic Type R, I mean, you can pay a lot of money to have the fastest front wheel drive car in the world. How many people are willing to spend? Fifty thousand dollars on that, right? I don't know. I'm worried about. I I really am worried about that because I think that Honda is using its uh, its name, the Type R name, as the selling feature. I think they want to tell people that this has heritage. This has sure um, a special meaning that in twenty years, in twenty years, it will retain its value. I don't know if we can really bank on that, but no, there's no way. I mean. We're I don't a, know. It's it's wild. Yeah. We're in a weird bubble right now when it comes to cars and retaining Absolutely. value. And I think what everyone has forgotten about this bubble is that it's not the first bubble. <laughs> there was a muscle car bubble that popped and has kind of grown again. There was the Ferrari bubble in the early 90s where, you know, there was the asset. We talked about the bubble economy in Japan and what it did in terms of making sports cars available in America. Like we got the crazy Supra and the RX-7 and all that. But what it also did was... All the people who had invested in real estate in Japan came to North America and Europe and bought all the Ferraris. Like every classic Ferrari of any significance was scooped up by investors, brought back to Japan. And then like five years later, they all trickled back to North America and Europe for pennies on the dollar because Mm -hmm. the whole bubble had burst. So right now you look at these cars where people are buying cars and they're like four or five years later, they still retain the value. Like you, you look at something as recent as say a BMW 1M. Yeah, which is not the kind of car you would think would retain its that. value, but it has. In 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 twenty years from now, are we still going to look at something like the the Civic Type R as a modern classic, or just a, you know a very fast car for its era? Like, yeah, there, was the Type R special back in like was the Type R branded vehicles special back in the day because they were rare because they were good, they were rare they because, were unobtainable for a lot of Americans. Because um, and not, there, I don't know if there's like a, a production cap on these things. I don't think there is, but it's interesting to look back at other cars that were special, quote unquote. Like you look at the E36 M3, right? So Mm -hmm. this is a car that it was the fastest BMW 3 Series you could buy in North America, but it kind of was in the shadow in the 90s of the European version, which had much more power due to emissions uh, reasons. This is 36, not 46? Yeah, 36. They had different intakes and whatnot. And now you look at the collector's market, and the market for that generation of M3, it's it's stronger than it used to be, but Mm -hmm. it's nothing like the market for the one that came before it. And I would even think that the the E46 has overshadowed it in terms of pricing. So you can't always know. Just because it's the fastest Civic or the fastest BMW 3 Series doesn't mean that 20 years from now people will be as into it as they are now. 
Now, you asked a very important question. Is there a ceiling on the price of these cars? Do you mean specifically hot hatches or... Or, or I mean, like, like the, the because... Golf R and the Civic Type R, like these cars that seemingly have like are way more expensive than they I... used to be. Although the Golf, the Golf has always been an expensive, yeah. Vehicle. But but it's uh, always been a high tech. It's kind of been an outlier to be. It, that that's to, that's to me. I think I mentioned sure. that before. Is and that the Golf was also it came with a. I think it used to come with a six cylinder. Yeah, they, they had the VR six and the, the Golf. And was, it had a DSG. Like a, it had the the very fancy transmission that Volkswagen really. Volkswagen was know, willing to it. get really weird with the Golf R because yeah. they had a built in European marketplace that they knew they could sell to, and they didn't really need to sell them in America because they were selling other stuff. Also, yeah. Volkswagen didn't make a profit in North America for twenty years, so they did. They didn't really know what was going on in terms of what people wanted for quite a while like it was tough for them um now and i think that of, that contributed yeah. to why the golf r and the r32 that preceded it were cars that were not necessarily well marketed in the u.s now in terms of um performance compacts or hatchbacks i think there is a ceiling and i think we're seeing it set by the germans believe it or not with the amgs and the m's and the rs's or whatever they're called sure maybe but isn't that a different class like i don't it I don't... is a different class but i think performance wise they'll line up and a lot of people will look at the number again we were talking we were talking about um the, the spec sheets a lot of people will look at these figures would you really call it insane to, because a gla 30 there's two versions of the gla these days um a gla 35 is about the same price as a as a Civic Type R. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You're like people are like, should I buy and the that most makes expensive? About the same horsepower. Should I buy the most expensive Honda or should I buy a Mercedes Benz instead? Yeah. But but by that argument, people should be looking at should I buy the most expensive Honda or should I buy the Z? You know, like yeah. it, it's I similar. I agree with that. It's similar. I think if you're looking for the driving experience, you should want to get the best one that's available at your budget. Right? Sure. For an enthusiast car, for sure. I mean, but then but you're starting other to look aspects, at... Yeah, but then other aspects of the... Everyone's going to be driving around in Lotuses or or <laughs> something like that, right? But, uh, I mean, other aspects of life kick in after that with practicality or, or you know, climate or road conditions. I mean, I mean a hot hatch, other... is, it's a compromise, right? It's not exactly. a pure driving experience. And a, a Z is a compromise in the other direction mm-hmm. where it's a more pure driving experience, but you're saddled with the lack of practicality. And uh, yeah, you're right. It, you're going to have to make that choice for yourself. So that's where these hot hatches always end up in this no man's land. Yes. Especially if they're priced over 40 grand, which is why I'm, I'm throwing back to the. Well, I even want to talk about the Subaru WRX, which I think is well. Oh, you really promised a me bargain, you wouldn't talk about it. Really a bargain at this price because it's got all wheel drive, it's got uh, a, a punchy powertrain. It's Same power as the Elantra, yeah. So those two cars seem like the better fit, and the only thing you're getting when you're going to the Golf R and the Civic Type R is the brand name that comes along with it. Are they good cars? Absolutely. Are they ten thousand dollars more? I don't think probably so. Probably not. Probably not. Anything um, else that you wanna you wanna talk about with the Type R? No, I'm eager to hear what you have to say because as a nerd, as a tech nerd, as a gadget guy, I think you've got the most gadget car available on the market. <laughs> well, I certainly have the most gadget car Mercedes-Benz has ever built, um, yeah. which is saying something if you look at their history of, of gadgets. But So I drove the Mercedes-Benz EQS 580 4Matic, and I'm not going to keep saying EQS 580 4Matic throughout the podcast. I'm going to say EQS or 580. There are two other versions yeah. of this car. There's a base model called the 450 plus i don't know what the plus is for there's also <laughs> there's also the amg eqs um, you know why i think i think i know why it's called the 450 450 is it the 450 i forgot the number plus, sammy for 450 plus. plus is because there were a bunch of guys who sat at a at a boardroom and said um what should we call the entry-level version of the car and, and they someone said, was immediately like i450 and they're like no <laughs> Yeah, and that. and they said, "Well, why are we calling it base? It should it, it's not base. Look at how loaded it Mercedes is. Mercedes doesn't make be. anything base. Exactly. And they're like, well, we'll just add a plus to the end of the name, and that counts as it not being. Yeah, they voted it through. You're right. Exactly. So the 580 is in the middle, and I want to talk about what the middle means. So it, that 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 base EQS is 329 <laughs> horsepower. It's rear wheel drive only. The Ooh. top tier AMG is 649 horsepower with a 751 horsepower <laughs> boost feature. Which is pretty crazy. But the real Sorry, numbers... a 700... It boosts up to 700. Yeah, it boosts up another 100 horsepower. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but it's dual motor. Both of those are dual motor, all-wheel drive. Um, Ooh, they sound like bullets. Wow. The one I drove, the 580, they sound like bullets, but we're going to get to that. So, 516 horsepower, 631 pound-feet of torque, 
4.1 seconds to 60. It's considerably faster than the base model, but it's almost as fast as the AMG. But I'm going to talk to you about why none of that really matters. Because this car is very unusual. This is... It, it is intense. I mean, if you t- if you had the design brief of a of a AirPods case, oh, sure. I, I'm not even talking about that yet. We're gonna get to that. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, so the EQS is designed to ostensibly replace the S class, and I don't mean replace like you know they're gonna stop making S classes tomorrow, mm-hmm. but Mercedes is like we need a top tier flagship electric car. We want to include S in there because that's kind of always been our thing for those types of vehicles, and they ended up with this. Um. As Sammy has just mentioned, it is perhaps the least interesting car to look at on the market. It reminds me a lot of the cloud cars that Dodge and Chrysler built at the end of the 90s. Just like very rounded, feature-free, aerodynamic cars. Like there's there's nothing... There's zero flattering comparison to make with this with this car for, no. for other vehicles. I'm you not... could say 200C. You could say... Yeah. Like, you know, like it really doesn't look. There's nothing about the car that's ugly, but there's nothing about the car that makes it look like it costs $126,000. No, no way. Wow. And um, uh, because the reason for that is because Mercedes went out of their way to give it the lowest drag coefficient of any vehicle on the market. So it's 0.20, which is, I think, 0.1, point, sorry, 0.01 less than the Lucid Air, which is a similarly priced electric sedan. And I think it also a, doesn't look like a jelly bean, does it? No, it looks a lot better. Okay. Uh, and it's it, also, it doesn't even look it doesn't even look that different. It looks better somehow. You know what I mean? It's a it's a three box design, right? Yeah, and the Tesla Model S is zero point two nine, and I think the Model S yeah. also looks better. Uh, I think being a decade old, the BMW i seven, which is another recent electric sedan, looks better, and that car is out there. Like that is an yeah. unusual looking car. But the reason I bring it up is because it's very clear that you could build an electric flagship and not have it look like a jelly bean, and Mercedes. Just went all full jelly bean on it. So, <laughs> full jelly bean. You never go full jelly bean. No, you look at this car and it's just like, really? That's it? And that's unfortunate because um, there's a lot happening here. Uh, a couple uh, before I move it on looks from the like out- the marbles that you would put in a vase with with you know fake flowers. Yeah, in it, it's right? it's like a rock that was in the. <laughs> it was like a rock that was in the river, and over a thousand years, the water has like smoothed it down to be almost entirely featureless. There and you that, go. The the other weird thing about the car is there's no frunk, like there's no front trunk on it. It's completely okay. sealed. It has a really big hatch, like okay. twenty one or twenty two cubic feet. And then if you put the seats down, it's like sixty six cubic feet or something. Wow, like really Suburban huge. Size. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk to me about this though. It's a hatch. It's a hatch, which is nice. I think all big cars should be hatches. If we're gonna do the rounded roof thing, go all in, make it a hatch. That's how I feel. I'm glad Mercedes did that with the EQS. It's just so much more practical, and there's no reason not to do it. It's not like anyone out there is like nostalgic for trunks. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know who those people are. But well, I would have gotten it if it if it had a trunk. For yeah, sure. exactly, exactly. So I'm happy about that. But the real story for the, the real story for this car is the driveline and the interior. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with the driveline. Mm-hmm. It is, like I mentioned, it's dual motor, 516 horsepower. I was very, very impressed with how smooth the power was metered. Uh, most of Really? These, yes. Come on. Talk to me. Talk to Ben. It's me. Okay. It's me. You can with, talk to me. You can talk to me freely. How is this different than any other electric car? It's a, it's a 6,000 pound car. And there's a lot of electric cars out there where if you slam the throttle down, it jerks your head back and slams it into the, in this case, delicately pillowed headrest. Um, this car, it's not as severe of a concussion as usual. This car can do that if you want to, but in most other situations, I found it to just build speed much more. I, I hesitate to use the word organically because that's meaningless, but, but it, it just felt somehow like power management was was handled really, really well. Um, okay. At least to the point where what I would expect from a full size luxury cruiser like this. Okay, good. So it, it maintains the S class. Element of power, yeah. Like, deliver. And okay. it's I, what I liked about that too, Sammy, is because the rest of this car is like seriously detached from reality while you're driving. Like this is <laughs> this is like the sealy the sealy pillow top mattress of suspension systems and equally marshmallow like steering. This is not a. I'm sure the AMG. Uh, wait, is how like, heavy is the steering? Tell it's me. not heavy at okay. all. We're talking like if you blow on the steering wheel, you're probably <laughs> going to be able to turn it. This is probably very different in the EQS AMG. 
But this version of the car, it's all about comfort. It's all about sealing you off from the outside world. And it's very, very good at that. If that's what you're looking for, and I think there's a huge place for that in the full-size sedan world, I don't see why every car needs to be ridiculously sporty, mm-hmm. um, even though it has huge power. You know, 631 pound-feet of torque, that's a lot, man. But uh, this car, it's just, it's all about comfort and relaxed and making sure that you're having a good, solid, you know, quiet time inside it. And I'm there for it. You're there for it? Yeah. Because I've heard that this has one of the most ostentatious touchscreen controls okay. in the world so the, and i don't know if that makes the cabin a more serene place the interior is absurd in this vehicle what do you mean by that so, explain it in every way the, <laughs> first of all white leather and oh, yeah. white, perfect white carpet for, perfect for when winter and fall season white happens. headliner <laughs> everything is white in my tester i'm so wow. it looks good for like the first 10 minutes of ownership after that, I'm sorry, you can't have white leather inside a car. It's gonna your jeans are gonna wipe off on it. Your dirt's gonna get on the ground. It's 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 just not gonna stay looking nice. Um, right. But what I really did like was how the cabin was laid out. Like it's almost like the front seats are kind of floating in this pod of the car, and the rear seats give you insane amounts of legroom that are away from the front pod. And the only complaint I really had is if you're in the back. The headroom is not great because of the way the roof arches. But other oh, yeah. than that, the car felt super spacious. But then, like, there's a bunch of other really strange stuff. There is enough LED rope in this car to, like, set up a corral at your local discotheque. Like, it is insane how bright this car is. There's so much light from, like, sources you would never have thought of. Like, the door panels, the floor, the ceiling, everywhere. There's, like, a user-controllable light source, man. It is. Wow. It's if, if I was like twelve years old, RGB would, baby, come on! It's like a video, It's like a gaming computer. If I was setting up my bedroom like as a twelve-year-old, you know, you used to glue those stars on the roof that glue, like, yeah. glow in the dark. It's like that, but like a times a million. Like it's 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 like you're inside a jukebox <laughs> or a pinball machine. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool. I'm into that. So th- then you pair that with something Mercedes is calling the hyperscreen, which is a fifty-six inch wide. Uh, setup. It takes three screens: one for the passenger, oh, okay, one for the the center, and one for the driver. And it's this big touch panel, and it does absolutely everything in the car. Um, there are no knobs. There's no dials. There's a no. couple of like touch sensitive controls on the steering wheel and on the center stack. Uh, not center stack. Sorry, the console. Other mm. than that, you're going through the screen. Okay, I didn't realize that it's three different screens. That yeah. are stitched together to make this whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah, the hyper is so like it's like a big glass panel, but there's really the center screen in the on the stack is like really immersive. It's enormous, but it okay. is three separate screens. And then using those using those systems, is it functional? It's easy to use. Whatever. It's a mixed bag. Um, okay. My passenger, she loved being able to turn on the massage sheets and do all the stuff on her side of the car, and not have to deal with the center stack, yeah, which is great. nice because. I'm I'm currently driving a, a GMC Denali where every time you use the the seat controls for the massage as a passenger, it takes over the center stack mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then it doesn't go away. You have to like exit out and that's annoying. Yeah. So I appreciate that as a driver that it kind of sequesters the passenger in their own world. I didn't like the fact that I had to do everything through the screen because sometimes if my phone glitched or it didn't connect properly at the beginning, it locked out the center screen functionality until I like turned the car on and off and got it back. That's a little bit of an annoyance. The other thing that's not great is when you're missing a volume knob, um, I have to use like a hand slider on the steering wheel and it's not necessarily the the most I guess granular way to to turn up or turn things down, and yeah. there's also no buttons for changing tracks. So like you have to use the screen to do that. That's annoying. That's tough. Okay, yeah. but it looks very good. It it does look great. The there's there were multiple ways to set up the gauge cluster. They were all pretty useful. They're complicated though. Um, it wasn't it wasn't an intuitive experience necessarily. I had to dive into a bunch of menus, and there's stuff there's features on the car I never fully figured out during the week with it. Because what does that mean? I just there's there's so many menus and so many options. Remember yeah. how Volvo used to have like those menus that came in from everywhere? Yeah. Like the the top, the bottom, the sides. Surprise menus. I hate them. Yeah. yeah. So this doesn't have surprise menus, but it has the same amount of depth in terms of okay. menus. Cool. Um talk to me about then um what makes this such a rolling gadget on wheels. Well, that hyperscreen, I mean it's hyper so screen, bright. Yeah. It's it's 
you have to really, if you want to like this car, you're going to have to love the hyperscreen. Yeah. If that's a problem for you, if you don't like turning off your car. If you don't be, love hyperscreen, this is not the car no, for you. walk I away. Honestly, yeah. you don't, you're not going to enjoy the experience. Um, the thing about the hyperscreen, and I've said this about every digital gauge cluster, but this is the whole dash. Yeah. When you turn it off, it's just black plastic. Yeah. It doesn't look great. You're sitting in your car. Maybe you're crying after work. You don't want to. You don't want your kids to see. So you do that. You do that in your own private time. The only private time you have as a high-powered executive, that ten minutes of crying in the in the driveway between work and family work. Okay. Okay. But while you're doing that, and the car is off because you don't want people to know you're there, yeah. um, you're just looking at black plastic. And that I kind think of- I like it that way, especially when it's that size. The fifty. If the if the if the screen is the whole thing. Then at least it doesn't. It looks like minimalist. Looks I think like, it just makes you even sadder. I mean, because the well, rest I mean, of, it's worse because it's like it's like glossy, and I'll see myself. And you paid a lot of money for it. But the <laughs> the uh, the rest of the car is so nice, materials wise, like just really nice wood and metal trim inside. And okay. I mean, like it looks great, and it feels nice to touch it. And it's really contrasted with the screen. It's like this is this is kind of the the debarkation point where we're moving into this fully glassed in dashboard. You know. Um, the other I'm looking, thing, I'm looking at the spec sheet on these things. There's so much stuff I don't understand. Well, what is what is the multimedia system with augmented reality navigation and natural language understanding and keyword activation? So I can tell you <laughs> that the augmented reality I don't think is shipping with the cars because I think okay. the chip shortage has killed that. I think a lot of people ordered these cars and they ended up getting the regular heads-up display. My heads-up display did not have augmented reality, or if it did, I couldn't activate it. Something else that my car didn't have that was supposed to be standard on the EQS are self-closing and self-opening doors. So you're supposed to be able to say, hey, Mercedes. Like a minivan. Kind of, but more fancy, more like, the, you uh. know, more expensive than a minivan. Okay. Uh, in the gotcha. sense that you're supposed to be able to say, hey, Mercedes, close my door. Hey, Mercedes, open my door. Hey, Mercedes, close the trunk. All this sort of stuff. So when I tried that, it said that that feature is not available. Um, I looked it up. The chip shortage basically meant that none of these cars, except for a handful that went out at the very beginning of production, had this feature installed. The weird part of it, it still has a soft close feature, which is when you pull the door to the latch and then it latches itself. So you don't have to pull it. I don't know. I mean, maybe you're just too weak to do that last part. But um, Well, it means that you don't have to slam the door. I love that. I guess. But you don't have to slam the door anyway if the car is built well. But the problem I had was the motors, I think, for the self-closing doors are still installed in the car. So when I opened it, it would resist me. And then I would have to push past what felt like a secondary detente in the door opening. And then the same thing when I pulled it. And there's, there's this is problematic for two reasons. If you're not a very large person, it's going to be heavy to close the door. But the doors open so wide, I think Mercedes was counting on the self-closing feature, making that not a problem. My mm. passenger doesn't have the biggest wingspan. When she opened her door all the way, she had to unbuckle her seatbelt and reach forward to grab the door yeah. and pull it in. So that's kind of something they intended to be very convenient because of factors outside of their control have made it actually the opposite. Okay. Um, what about – first of all, I, I love the idea of saying Mercedes closed the door. Hey, Mercedes. Hey, Mercedes closed the door. I think that's actually one of the best functions of the voice recognition. It feels like there's like a little ghost assistant doing everything for you. The little great. ghost assistant is funny too because <laughs> this didn't work for me because I didn't have Mercedes and me or whatever it's called. There's like a – there's like a, a, a an internet – Mercedes act- and me is that new movie, that new romantic uh, – <laughs> Movie from Hallmark. Yeah, where we both adopt a dog together and, and get a <laughs> yes. lake house. Yeah, I know, I know the movie. I know the plot. Yeah. Um, so if you if you connect, there's like a, a an account you can make with Mercedes and connect to the internet and all this stuff. If you have that, you can use the Mercedes, the Hey Mercedes thing as like a personal assistant and mm-hmm. ask it questions and stuff. It didn't work for me. I tried it. But a friend of mine, Javier Mota, who's a, a journalist in Miami, mm-hmm. he asked his EQS, Hey Mercedes, what do you think of Tesla? And it replied, the same as you, that's why you're driving this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. So, hey, Mercedes is a little bit sassy. Sass. I love it. You paid for it. Um, okay. We've also wanted to talk about – you mentioned um, the motor, the drivetrain um, handles very softly. I remember Marshmallow. You Marshmallow. Um, you didn't tell me about range, really. The range is pretty and, good. And didn't you have a new charger? At yeah, home? So I have a new I have a new level two charger installed here. Um this this car, it's it's got a 350 miles of range. 
It charges at 200 kilowatts, which is pretty good. It's not yep. class leading, but it's pretty good. Uh, a Mercedes claims it's good that, enough considering you barely ever get 200 kilowatts. Right? Sure, it says you know 10 percent to 80 percent in half an hour. Uh, I had it at about 55 percent. I plugged it into my level two, which is like 6.7.6 kilowatts. Six and a half hours later, it was at 98 percent. Okay, so that's that's perfect. That works for level two. Yeah, overnight. If you were even close to zero, you're going to be totally fine the next day on a level two charger. And level two chargers are the most common types of chargers. But the thing about this car, I didn't drive it a lot. I drove it mostly in the city. Um, one thing I found was it was really good at regen. And I had trouble knocking What do you mean it- by really good at regen? Like it actually regenerated. Yeah. Regenerated I, had trouble, I had trouble knocking it down below 55%. I picked it up at like 58 or something. Mm. And I think it stayed at 55. Like I didn't charge it until the end because I wanted to see, you know, how it, how well it was good. 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 <laughs> I wanted to see how well it managed the energy. And it did a very good job. It has like okay. one of those multiple settings where you can have like one pedal driving, which I don't like. A middle version of regen and then like the lightest. But I stayed in the middle and it was it was good. Um, if I was going to make a complaint though about technology, just kind of going back to features. it I didn't have any type of advanced hands, hands-free cruise control in this car. I, okay. I'm not saying I need that to, to buy a car. But... Considering that Cadillac Super Cruise is available pretty much across the board and is or is it's it's almost across the board now and it's become available in things like you know GMC Sierra, Chevrolet vehicles. Um yeah. the fact that Mercedes didn't have this in their flagship electric car, I think that's a, a serious problem. I'm yeah, gonna... I think it's taking too long for other automakers to get on um up to this level. Yeah. So that was a that's that the doors and I think just the, the look of the car are the most surprising things about the EQS because the S class that it's emulating is a thoroughly excellent car. Mm-hmm. So if you want to make the electric version of the S class, it has to hit the same notes, it has to get the, or even surpass them, surpass that level to get people interested. I don't think the EQS does that. I think that those, I think the lack of features in certain areas and the look of the car are huge problems for it. Okay. And I think I, those are fair criticisms. I think that makes sense, especially when you're spending this much money. Do you want it to stand out, look good, look like anything else? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's even really the difficult. base car is a hundred grand, you know? Yeah. So, would you take an i7 over there? Well, I mean, we haven't. Driven I haven't it. driven it. There's no way to know. And the design is. I think it looks better. I think it looks better. It looks. Look, the i7 looks better. I think the i7 is at least a design that is memorable. And yep. is, is saying something. Would you agree with what it's saying? Is <laughs> yeah. up to you. But I think the EQS doesn't say anything at all. I think it's anonymous. And I feel like that's that's a risky strategy for a, a flagship vehicle. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, anything else you want to say about uh, this this EQS? No. Can I you talk mean, to me? Hold on. Wait. I saw this thing. And there's a little – there's a notch on the front fender. Like a little like uh, slot in the front fender. What What's going on over there? Well, because the hood doesn't open. That's the only way you can put in, uh, let's say you needed to fill up wiper fluid. That's where it goes. It goes into this little slot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like a washing machine. I do want to say, you know, like I'm sure that by keeping that hood closed, they're yeah. able to avoid um, openings in the sheet metal that probably would have hurt them from an aerodynamics perspective. Or but noise too, right? I don't know if noise is really an issue because the S-Class is pretty quiet normally and it I has a when gas you're riding engine. on such an, elect- like an electric car already really quiet – Anything will like, especially wind noise will be so prevalent, and I think we hear it in all sorts of, all sorts of other electric. Yeah, cars but too. I mean, I, I don't think the hood is a huge source of wind noise. In, in okay. any case, yeah. where I'm going with this is every other car has a frunk. Yes. So even if it's small, like I, I think that the Audi RS that I drove, the Etron GT RS, it had a very, very like it had pretty much enough room for the charger. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. But at least it was there. Whereas Mercedes is just like, now we're not doing it at all. And it has a big hatch. But I think, again, this is another area where you're out of step with the segment that you're in, in a way that doesn't benefit you. Like, I think it's hard to explain to the customer, hey, you don't have a frunk, which is useful to you because we wanted to do better arrow, which is useful to us for range. You know, like, I think that's a harder... Do you think you would give up like two miles on range for a frunk? I think so. Yeah, that's fair. There's got to be something under there, though. <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. We'll never it's know. Not for, it's not for us to know. That's true. Um, what should we 
should we end the podcast now? I, I forgot th- how to do this now. That, I was think no, it's, that was not a good segue, man. I think it's time to end. I mean, yeah, segue with a question is always, <laughs> always the way to go. Um, if you really enjoyed this week's episode, and even if you didn't, I encourage you to um, subscribe to our podcast. You can do that by heading on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a bunch of buttons at the top of the website that you can use to subscribe. Mash all of those buttons like you're playing Street Fighter 2 <laughs> in 1999. Or you can just go to your podcast client, search for us there, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, and you'll be able to find us. No problem. Um, while you're at our website, you'll see all of our previous episodes. You will see photos of the cars that we've been driving. And what's going on over there as well? You can get in touch with us. There's a contact form. There you, is a contact form. You can you go to the contact yeah, yeah. I, I'll take over from here, Sammy. Oh, thank uh, you. My, my my mind was melting. <laughs> you can f- fill out that contact form, push submit, and the answers, the answers, the questions come right to our inbox. We'd love hearing from people, even if it's not a question, even if it's a comment or like you want to maybe talk about being sad in your driveway after coming home from work. We are there for you. You can either send it to us on the website itself or you can contact us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter. Who knows how much longer Twitter will be there? So you better get him at get <laughs> at him. You thought it was a cesspool before. Wait till you see it now. Oh yeah, he's at Sammy underscore Ha. Like you're laughing. You can also email us the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? Uh, next week, I drove the uh, Hyundai Ioniq Five around town and tested a bunch of fast chargers and did not have a very enjoyable experience. So did I can't you, wait to tell you what that's you all about. Did you almost get electrocuted, Sammy? <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. You okay. Need to, you need to see what happens. <laughs> that sounds exciting. As I mentioned in the show, I'm driving a Sierra Denali Ultimate, which is a lot of words that mean huge truck and huge fuel bill for this week. Um, and I, I, I have, before you ask, Sammy, yes, I did haul some tires in it. So. Excellent. I can't wait to see and hear all about it. Put it through the tire faces. <laughs> the tire, t- the, tr- the tire wrecking. Rack. That's right. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. I also want to find the people who say, you know, like, uh, like for the past two years, they've been saying, oh, when the, when we get the parts, you'll get the you'll get the the update or the upgrade. And I'm certain nobody's getting that. No, for sure. I mean, look at the EQS that I had with that the, the door thing I sent you. Yeah, I think the components are in the door and that's why it was fighting me. So, like, it's like a half-implemented solution. It's just missing, yeah. missing the chip that it needs to make it a fully-implemented solution. Where does that chip go? It's not. Is, do, you, do you really believe that there's, like, a motherboard in, the, in this do car somewhere? Do you ever see, like, Star just... Trek The Next Generation where they would pop <laughs> Data's head open yeah. and they would slide that chip in? <laughs> exactly. It's like that. It's like, you and know I mean, how there's no frunk on the EQS? It's yeah. like, that's where the motherboard is. <laughs> It's just a, it's like a, it's just a massive PCB with a billion yeah, yeah. slots that say <laughs> they say like automatic they say doors. like so dim. Yeah, exactly. If automatic door. You can submerge the EQS, but only from the rear. If you get the front submerged, <laughs> yeah, it fills the motherboard. Yeah. But then, I mean, there was these Teslas. Did you ever hear about the Teslas that didn't have USB ports, just the holes for the USB port? <laughs> oh man. And so just shove your cable into this hole into <laughs> nothing. Nowhere. It's not a port. It doesn't click. Nothing happens. And they're like, oh, yeah, uh, we'll install those when we get them. And you're like, no, you probably won't. Oh, man. <laughs>